Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you've found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, Dewalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everyone to season two, episode 21 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, one that we are calling Solving the Associate Problem, Creating Five Points of Certainty. Yes, it's all about associates, associate-driven businesses, associate equity, and pathway to partnership in this segment of the podcast. I know you're gonna get a lot out of this. These are five points you absolutely have to keep in mind if you're going to be successful in attracting and retaining associates. So get your pad and pen ready and brew another cup of that wonderful meal of coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is off and running. Well, welcome everyone once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. And if you are a loyal follower of the podcast, you probably recall that in the prior week's episode, we talked about uh, basically trying to crack the associate problem. Uh, associate turnover is the number one problem of every group practice. Y'all have heard us say this on multiple occasions on the podcast, from the stage, in webinars. We've written about it, done presentations about it. This is the problem that if you're going to build a successful group practice, you absolutely positively have to solve. And it's a problem that plagues every group practice, whether you're an enterprise-level private equity-backed DSO of a 1,000 locations or more, or if you're an entrepreneurial dentist moving from location number two to three to five in the not-too-distant future. If you're going to turn and burn associates and have a lot of turnover on an annual basis, you are going to be a hamster on a wheel. Um, it is going to be a problem that you probably will not be able to overcome. On the other hand, if you do have a rhyme and a reason and some type of a strategy that at least gets you above that you know, 50 percentile mark, you minimize some of your turnover, you increase continuity of care for your patients, greater point of stability for you as a business owner, and you, you stand a better chance of creating overall success, however you define success. In the prior episode, I talked about some of the, the trends um, you know, that were influencing associates and, and the way they're coming out of school or, or, or residency or early associateships. And, and I said that there's going to be a wave of opportunity for you in the coming years a wave of opportunity to hire a lot of associates. I really believe that to be true. The statistics bear that out. The ADA has done a lot of work around it and, and is something that you abs absolutely will have a lot of at-bats in the coming years as you want to build your group practice. That being said, 
we'd rather not bat a lot of singles and just hit a lot of foul balls to use the baseball analogy. And I obviously didn't grow up playing baseball, so I don't even know what I'm talking about in that context. But I do understand recruiting professionals and recruiting at a higher level. So let's dig into that a little bit. Again, as a refresher, on the last episode, I said that a comprehensive solution to, to, to create success and, and get around this problem has three components. It has to be recruiting, has to be onboarding, and it has to be development. If you're not doing all three of those, the stool isn't going to stand on its own. It at least needs to have three legs. So uh, you've got to address recruiting, onboarding, and development to create success. And recruiting is going to have to be a full-time focus for you as the business founder or as a business leader in the group that you're trying to build. So let's take this um, from the recruiting context. Let's take this uh, a little bit from the standpoint of the associate. And, and the reason that I want to start there is because all of us as entrepreneurs are, who are interested in building a you know, faster pace growth business, we tend to look at everything from our lens. And sometimes that's appropriate. And candidly, sometimes it's not. And in this situation, let's just take a beat for a second, uh, pump the brakes and think about uh, the way an associate might view our business. And, And the reason for that is because most of us have not gone through this process in an awfully long time. And what you're dealing with today is that the young associates, if they're coming out of dental school, if they're coming out of residency, or if they're spinning out of a larger enterprise level group or a failed associateship, they're coming to you with a heightened level of anxiety, a heightened level of insecurity, That can be driven from student loan debt standpoint. As I mentioned in the prior episode, they're carrying, uh, on average, uh, over $300,000 in educational debt. That's not even dealing with personal debt or if they want to buy their first home or a car or start a family or anything like that. So there's a lot of anxiety around earnings there. Um, If they're coming out of a, um, uh, an enterprise level DSO or a failed associateship, they want to feel some, something went wrong, right? So they want to feel like they fit in. They want to feel like their their values mesh with your values. They want to feel like they're more than just a hired gun. Um, and and they, they really are bringing, whether they voice these concerns to you or not, you need to know that it's top of mind for them. And hopefully, if this is their second turn of the wheel as an associate, they want to stand a chance of sticking with you for the long haul. And again, some people are going to come out and say, Hey, you know, it didn't work for me in the prior place where I was for the following reasons. What do you have to say about that? I would welcome that because at least they're voicing their concerns and I can deal with it and I can deal with it up front. Or if they're not voicing those concerns, you owe it to yourself to be able to draw that out of them. So, The way you draw that out of them is that you can either ask direct questions or you can present who you are, what you do, and what's great about your organization from a standpoint of addressing their unvoiced concerns and doing it proactively. And and 
more often than not, I think that's the boat that you're in. The best recruiters understand their audience. They understand what makes them tick. They understand what motivates them. And they they understand what is a, a point of anxiety, a point of concern, a point of insecurity, whatever you want to dress it up as. They understand how to deal with that, even if the if the candidate doesn't voice those concerns, or even if they haven't come to the conclusion in their mind that that is their primary driver. So here we go. There are five points of that you need to address in the recruiting process that really help you to create a greater degree of certainty in the mind of the candidate you're trying to recruit, and your goal is to have everyone you speak with absolutely want to join your team. They're going to die trying to become a part of the business you're creating. You want to create so much um, optimism and hope and desire on behalf of the candidate that you literally only have one opening to give an offer for, and you've got five qualified candidates. And for the, the four that don't make it, you want to keep them engaged because you're probably going to have openings down the road. Okay. So you're, you're not one and done here. So here are the five points of certainty that you need to be able to address in your recruiting process. One is certainty of income. Two is what I call fitting in. Three is skill development. Four is being part of a winning team. And five is without a doubt ownership equity, becoming a partner. So let's go through those five and I'm going to unpack a key, a couple of key bullet points on all of them and uh, hopefully give you some things to think about here. So the first one is certainty around income. Look, nobody, all of us who are successful, nobody does what they do for free. Okay. You don't, I don't, the associates don't. Income solves a primary um, a primary driver, um, you know, even in Maslow's hierarchy of needs to get esoteric with you. So I want you to create certainty and I want you to create clarity. And I want you to play the income game at a at a higher degree or a, a higher level of professionalism. Most um, founder dentists will recruit associates with a clinical compensation rate. And they will say to the prospective associate um, that they pay 35% of collections. Okay, great. Um, if you are paying 30% of collections, what is the conclusion the candidate's gonna draw if they're interviewing with you and that competitor? Well, the competitor pays 35% and you only pay 30%. But what does that actually mean? It can mean something really different if you address it from a context of income. You and I can't spend a, a percentage collection rate for our mortgage or to go out to eat dinner or to buy nice things or to take a trip. A percentage is a percentage. The question is a percentage of what? You really want to be able to present clinical compensation and income from a point of certainty. So if your competition says, we pay 35% of collections and your clinical compensation rate is 30% of collections, the first thing you wanna address 
is what are the income expectations of the candidate? So if an associate, a prospective uh, associate, a candidate comes to you and, and you have the conversation openly about what are their income needs? And, and they say, well, you know, right out the chute, my income needs are a million dollars. Well, that's probably not going to work for you as an associate at this level in your business. It might work in the long haul, but right now it's probably not going to work. You would never have that scenario. A million dollars is is egregious, right? But if they say something like, you know, you know, I, for me, to, for this to work for me, I really need to to earn about two hundred thousand dollars at a minimum, at least in the start right now. Okay, that's a good number for you to know as the interviewer. And we always want to ask this of the applicants we have at Polaris for different positions. Like, what are their true income needs? What are we trying to solve for? How can we get there? It's a little bit of a collaborative process. The second thing, though, for you is that you want to understand the historical track record of performance for associates in your business. And I'm sure it's all over the board to a degree, but have you really mapped that out over their first three years uh, as an associate with you? What did they generate in collections and what did they earn in income in year one? What did they generate in collections and what did they earn in income in year two? What did they generate in collections and what did they earn in income in year three? And let's plot that out almost on a graph or at least note it on a sheet of paper in front of you. Get clarity around it. Because if somebody says we pay 35% of collections and you say we pay 30% of collections and on average, our associates collect $700,000 in year one, they collect $800,000 in year two, they collect $950,000 on average in year three, and the income over the first three years are $210,000, $240,000, and about $285,000, respectively. That tells the candidate you have a degree of certainty and a track record of performance versus somebody else that's just quoting a clinical compensation rate with no specificity to it. The reason this is critically important for you is because the associates don't know to ask that question. If they don't know the question to ask, they have no certainty. You need to create certainty and clarity for them. So you pay a clinical compensation rate, you have a track record of performance to fall back against, and you have specificity and certainty around the income you project them to earn in your business. That's not the same as a guarantee. Sometimes a guarantee could be warranted in the first year or six months or some period of time, and that's okay. But this is what you're telling them is the level of performance for the average associate in your business. And now it's up to them to decide, are they above average or below average? And that's a completely different conversation than battling over a couple of points of a percentage of collections that may or may not play out to either person's benefit, honestly. So show your historical performance and create confidence around the number one thing they're trying to solve in the most immediate term, and that is their income. If you can do that, you'll tilt the playing field to your advantage, at least against the other 
um, I would say typical uh, people building group practices or the typical person trying to hire his or her first associate. You probably won't tilt the playing field to your advantage against enterprise level DSOs because this is the way they know to play the game from the onset. The second thing, creating certainty around how they fit in. Look, again, I said, if somebody's coming to you out of a failed associateship or they're spinning out of an enterprise level DSO, there's a reason for that. Something didn't go the way they planned. Something didn't materialize. Something was promised and it wasn't delivered. Whatever it was, there's a reason they're in front of you right now. And there's a reason they're no longer with that prior business or they're looking to leave that prior business. So how do they fit in? I mentioned in the prior episode, and I teased it a, a few minutes ago, that you want to create an onboarding plan um, that that shows them how they fit in in the first you know, uh, six to 12 weeks, essentially. That is critically important. You want to have a copy you can show them. I wouldn't give them that plan, but I would, I would show it to them to create confidence. The other pieces to this are your culture and your core values. If culture and core values aren't really something that you think merit your time or or you think they're they're not important or they're not a, a key differentiator, I would push back on that wholeheartedly. Um, the millennial generation especially is highly dialed in uh, to culture and core values and they use at use it as part of their decision making criteria. So what is the culture you're trying to create and what does it mean? What are the core values you you've established? And, and why are they important to you? If they're not important to you, don't think they're going to be important to somebody else. And this is a critical point, um, again, to, to create certainty for somebody that they see themselves fitting in in an organization that, that is, is, is values forward or that promotes their, uh, their culture. Um, and it's also a way for you to weed out people who are going to be a bad fit. And you're only going to find out about that nine to 12 months down the road. You'd rather know that at the point of interview and not have to turn them over. So culture and core values in an onboarding plan create certainty around how they fit in. And they, it's also a point for you to, to create that level of certainty based on whatever failures they're coming out of. The third critical point here and point of certainty is around their skill development. Um, I, I mentioned uh, before that the three legs of the stool are recruiting, onboarding, and development. And when I say development, it's skill development and to a different degree, potentially leadership development. But, you know, I haven't found any young dentist that says, uh, wow, I'm really happy what I learned in dental school and I'm glad I never have to learn anything else. Quite the contrary. I feel like they're always asking about, um, you know, what do you know about uh, ways to further my education? Uh, where do you, uh, wh what have you heard of in terms of skill development? What are the best CE courses? Um, where can I learn the most? Um, all of that uh, type of, call it continuing ed, uh, call it uh, professional development. I really equate it to mastering your craft. I, look, I do this on a personal level. Y'all have heard me talk about uh, an entrepreneurial coaching program that I'm part of, and, and I'm really somebody that 
enjoys reading. I read a lot for personal development. I look for entrepreneurs to associate with, to, to learn things outside of the world that I live in. Um, I really, I want to get better at who I am and what I do. And, and I think every young dentist has that same aspirational component to him or her. And if you have a two to three year curriculum and set expectations with them, um, they can see themselves developing their skills. If they develop their skills more, they're going to have more clinical confidence. They're going to do more complicated procedures. They're going to become a master at their craft. Oh, by the way, they're probably going to make more income doing it. And that's the aspirational thing about, hey, if you come to, to uh, work with us and you're a quality member of the team, we're going to make you a better clinical dentist than what you can become on your own. And I think that's, that's again, it's aspirational. And if you document it and you have it laid out, you're going to, you're going to be able to recruit a different level of candidate than probably what a lot of your peers are. So you do want to have in the recruiting phase, at least you do want to have this broken down and documented by subject matter over some period of time. I would also say, is this like, internal skill development, like you have a mentor for the, the young candidate uh, who might be coming on board, or you do some level of internal skill development within the, the clinical team that you have, or is it an external curriculum that might be taught at a, an, a, a dental clinical education center somewhere in the United States? The third piece of this is, who's going to fund it? Um, are you going to continue or are you going to make investments uh, in those young associates um, from a dollar and time standpoint that you're going to invest in their skill development? And are you going to ask them to invest in their skill development? Is it a, is it a joint project? Are you going to put the money up first and you're going to expect them to uh, invest the money over the long haul? What does that look like? I mean, this is a, a point to say, look, we're, you know, we're taking time and putting dollars behind you. We want you to be successful, but we want you to contribute to your own success. And we expect you to have some level of drive, performance, and financial commitment to that better outcome for all of us. And I think that type of skill development is uh, is really key because you you want to, ultimately, you want to hire people who want to get better. And, and I think this is a point to make that clear to them that if they join your team, those are your expectations and some of what you're going to do with them and for them. The fourth piece here around certainty uh, is your winning team. Um, nobody joins a loser. Okay. Uh, you just, there's no better point uh, in time to be to humble brag about your level of success that you and your team have been able to create up to this point. And I think it's really important to take the time to do that. And when you're recruiting somebody, you want to tactfully talk about the success you've created historically and where you're going in the future. Because nobody wants to join a declining organization. Nobody wants to stagnate personally, professionally, or as, as part of a team, everybody wants to be part of a, a rising tide that lifts all boats and have trophies on the wall to show for it. So here's your point to do that. And it starts with 
what your mission statement or your statement of purpose uh, or your key differentiator is. Uh, you know, at Polaris, we help entrepreneurial dentists build and exit successful group practices. That is our mission statement. We know that. That's where we focus all of our resources and our efforts. What's your mission statement or your statement of purpose? Is it generic? Is it compelling? Have you spent time on it? Does it create an outlook for success? What's the historical success that you and your team have, have built? And what's the future growth potential of where the business is going? The candidate you're interviewing needs to once again be able to see themselves in that future growth. That's very aspirational. And here's your opportunity to present it for them. What's the general business outlook? And what's the vivid vision for your business in the next three to five to 10 years? There's a book called Vivid Vision by a guy named Cameron Harold. I think his last name is H-E-R-R-O-L-D. He was the COO of uh, the company 1-800-GOT-JUNK and um, really helped that business from an operational COO standpoint create a lot of its sustainable success. Um, and I think helped actually take them public. I might be wrong on that last piece, but uh, he's now um, has a consulting company and is known as the CEO Whisperer. He's written a number of, of good books. Uh, Double Double is one, but Vivid Vision is one that's a pretty easy read. It's not too long. It's not too um, hard to, to uh, consume. And it talks about building or creating, drafting a vivid vision for your business. Uh, if you're not familiar with what this is and you've never really done much around mission statements, core values, and the future outlook for the, the business, you owe it to yourself to pick up a copy of that book. Again, Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold uh, and read it and understand how to document a vivid vision for you and your, your business and what that vivid vision might mean for the candidates you hope to attract. So it's all of that wrapped into one, but the bottom line is you need to create certainty around your business, around your team, around your growth prospects, and the candidate you're interviewing needs to be able to see themselves in that, and they need to want to be part of that. You know, the, the Sheryl Sandberg, she's the COO of Facebook, uh, has a great quote here, and she says, if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat, just get on. And I think that quote, if you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat, just get on. That quote really encapsulates what you want the candidate to hear coming out of your mouth and see that you're uh, promoting when it comes to your recruiting them. They got to want to die trying to get on to your business. Uh, and this is your, your point to create that level of certainty around the winning team you've got. And the fifth key point here around creating certainty is the ownership piece. Um, you know, I, I just, I really believe that dentists are, are young people go to choose to go to dental school because they're entrepreneurially minded. And they, they want to feel like they can uh, either own their own business outright, or they have an ownership stake in the business they've joined, and they have a seat at the table in terms of the future they're creating. Um, 
I know that's different for the mid to later career stages of dentists who are in the audience versus potentially some of the younger uh, and newer stage dentists. But I believe that ownership creates different outcomes for the candidate. And I believe that ownership and pathways to partnership create different outcomes for the business owner and the founders. And I just really believe that you have to be able to have an answer for that. And it could be a traditional buy-in methodology where somebody goes to a bank, takes on a loan and buys into your business at some dollar amount and percentage. It could be an earn-in model, um, restricted stock units, profits, interest units, um, and things along those lines. But if you're building a group practice and you're doing it just with associates that you hire that have no stake in the future they're helping you create, I think you're creating a disadvantage for yourself. I think it's um, a hindrance for continuity. I think it creates challenges around um, uh, continuity of patient care. Um, and that level of turnover is just tough to overcome. And you're, go you're always going to have some level of turnover. You need to plan for that. But one of the best ways to minimize it is creating a pathway to partnership um, for these associates to become, to either buy in or earn in or a combination of both into the business that you have created. And that helps you secure them for the long haul. Without that, uh, you're just going to be on your heels. So um, you, you have to think through a number of things around legal structures, equity structures, buy-in versus earn-in. We'll unpack more of that in a future episode for you for sure. But that's the fifth point of certainty. Um, and it really revolves around partnership and ownership. And if you think back to when you were coming out of residency, uh, coming out of maybe your first associateship, you probably had that same driver in your mind uh, of wanting to own your own business or, or be part of something bigger than yourself. And if you, if you don't have the same for the associates you're recruiting, um, you're just going to create challenges for yourself. So again, the five points here around creating certainty uh, are certainty of income, how you position that beyond just a clinical compensation rate, certainty that they're going to fit in and, and be part of your business, especially if they're coming out of a failed associateship. You've got to be able to solve that. Um, and that's uh, core values um, and, and an onboarding plan. Skill development, that which is clinical skill development. How do they become a master at their craft? How do you help them create certainty that they're going to be a better dentist if they come to work for you versus if they go it alone? Certainty around a winning team um, of what you've built and what you're building and how they can be a piece of that into the future. And then the fifth piece is the ownership piece. If you can address all five of those in a recruiting focus, you stand a higher chance of getting greater hit rates of people who want to be part of your business. And candidly, hopefully you stand a better opportunity of retaining them for the long haul. So I hope this is a, a good start on this uh, solving the associate problem piece. Uh, and it's creating five points of certainty for the candidates you're creating, or you're recruiting, not just you as the business owner.
Hopefully you found that educational. If you do, feel free to drop me a, an email or any questions at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. So thanks so much for joining me on the show today. This this associate uh, uh, conundrum piece is really a lot of fun. Um, and, and I think it's something that if you can uh, turn this to your advantage, uh, you stand a, a greater opportunity of, of creating success. And if you do like some of this content, I'm going to I'm going to link to a couple of things in the show notes, one of which uh, is a, uh, a webinar series that we're proud to promote and be a part of uh, with a couple of other key opinion leaders of the dental industry. And shame on me, I was probably a little bit late in getting this in the um, the concluding thoughts section of, of the podcast, um, but you may have seen from us or a couple of the other companies, uh, most notably SMC National, which is a marketing company. I'll talk about them in just a second. Uh, but we're doing a a webinar series that has seven components, and it's really all about uh, establish, launching, establishing, and growing, and even possibly exiting a successful group practice. And we're calling it from the ground up. So the the different presenters on this webinar series are um, uh, myself and DeWalker here at Polaris, SMC National, which is Gary Bird and his group. They are a um, dental specific marketing uh, company. We refer a lot of clients to them and they do a tremendous job. These, Gary's been part of our um, uh, de novo execution masterclass. Uh, Gary's an analytic who happens to be a, a, a business owner of a marketing agency, but all this stuff about cost per lead, cost to acquire a patient, um, first year patient value and all that. Gary eats, lives and breathes that sort of stuff. So he is great. I'm going to be taking the first segment of the webinar series uh, on growth strategy and funding. Gary is going to go through the marketing metrics piece on, in the second phase of it. I'm going to take the third phase on attracting and retaining associates, which is you'll hear some of the same information that I shared today uh, on that segment, but that'll be upcoming. And then uh, Jonathan Escal, who's the uh, founder uh, and, and leader of the SCAL Law Group uh, is going to cover a lot of legal and equity structures. So I, I teased before in the um, uh, the podcast episode today about bringing people in, buy-in versus earn-in, legal structures and all that. Jonathan and his team are, are experts at that. He has got the fourth component um, of uh, legal and equity structures. And then our friends at Ide Bailey, Scott Aberman and Kelsey Hagen, are going to cover accounting structures and DSO reporting. We haven't dug too terribly deep uh, on the podcast, at least, into financial reporting structures. But the team at Ide Bailey, um, you know, when we start talking about building a DSO and you talk about the legal structure and then you talk about the equity structure, you got to have financial reporting structures that back that up. So we've got like management services agreements and cost allocations and how the funds flow from practice to DSO and, and how the costs are allocated to practice levels and all that kind of fun stuff. 
you got to have the financial reporting piece that backs up all of that. And so Scott and Kelsey are going to dig into that in the fifth week from uh, accounting structures and DSO reporting standpoint. And then usually if you're building a group, one of the key things you're going to have to have at some point in the not too distant future is probably some level of an executive team. Um, a leadership team. You may have being the founder of the business, you're going to probably be the COO. But what about CFO or COO or CMO um, or VP of finance or director of ops, all these different like corporate level leadership? Arguably, there's nobody better in the industry in terms of recruiting those people than John Fiddler of Fiddler and Associates. Uh, I've known John going all the way back to the Patterson days. So I've known him for the better part of a decade now. And Fiddler and Associates is who we refer all of our clients to for those executive recruiting needs. John's going to have um, the uh, the sixth installment in the webinar series on executive recruiting. The seventh and final episode of the webinar series is going to be around exit strategy. And DeWalker and I will cover that to put a bookend on this thing, talking about the process around exit how you size it up, how long it takes, valuation, deal structure, all that other kind of fun stuff. So that's a seven-part series. It is a heavy lift. We have some industry experts who are going to be part of it with us, and we're really excited about it because this is one of those that's kind of just like every week, it's another it's another key component, you know? And obviously, not everybody's going to be able to join every uh, episode of the, the webinar series. I encourage you to sign up for it and you'll be able to watch some of the video recordings of it as well. It's going to be great. Um, I'm really excited about it, and I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. Out of it. So we'll link to it in the show notes on how you can register um, and, and be part of the series. But I hope you'll be able to uh, carve out a little bit of time and join us on it. I think it'll be worth your time overall. More great content, obviously. So today was a lot of fun for me. I hope you found uh, some value in it. I thank you for joining me. I thank you for all the compliments uh, we get on the podcast um, from the calls that I get. And I always say, well, how'd you hear about us? And they always say, heard your podcast, you know, or or, I'm binge listening to your podcast. I think that's a good thing. (laughs) So um, if you do get a lot out of it, please do leave us a rating or a comment or something like that. It helps on the show rankings and everything and every little bit you can share with us helps and and we're incredibly grateful like i say if you've got questions feel free to submit them directly to me at parent at polaris healthcarepartners.com never know when i might read and answer one in the upcoming episode and you can always find out more about us on our website at www.polarishealthcarepartners.com thanks so much for being a subscriber and a listener we'll see you on the next episode